Stanford University. everybody, my name is Amy Ladd, and if there's any doubt that I'm a surgeon, you can probably tell. I ran from the operating room, and so I didn't have time to put on my heels. But um, thank you so much for coming. I'm excited to speak to you all. Um, I'm assuming you're here wanting to learn something about the hand and why hands hurt. So Nora and I came up with this talk. Thank you very much, Nora, for inviting me to speak to you. Yes, we're good. Uh, why my coffee cup is hard to hold. And sometimes this is the only question I need to ask to make a diagnosis. So I'm going to walk through about five really common things that at least, I'd say everybody in this room will have at least one of them in their lifetime. And uh, so what to look out for and what to do about it. So I am at Stanford. You all are in this area, so you probably know where that is. <clears throat> Uh, I would like to talk about some of the common causes of first numb and painful hands, what you can do, and when you need help and who to see. I bet there's not a person in this room that doesn't contemplate how wonderful this implement is. What a great feat of uh, nature, of what we can do with our hands. We do it for everything, everyday activity. It's a form, it's, it's ideally what makes us higher creatures on this planet. Exquisite capability from, you know, fine motor dexterity of a, a surgeon, pianist, violin player, uh, golfer, anything we do. Um, you know, the manual laborers, I'm always so happy to see someone who works with their hands because to me that's an honorable hand. And I actually love this little picture. This is soap. <laughs> so... <laughs> But when they don't work so well, it makes life very difficult. This is a picture I took in Italy, and it's a, a, a woman who's got her hand cut off in the typical Roman style, and she's wondering how to pick up that umbrella. Oh. Well, the common causes I'm going to talk about are two syndromes that affect the nerves, cause numbness in your fingers, and then three that cause tendinitis inflammation of the tendons. Tendons are what make the hand move. First one, is there anybody who's never heard the expression carpal tunnel syndrome? No, we all kind of throw it around. I'd like to clarify what it is because a lot of times people think it is and isn't. So I'm gonna go through some of the uh, common causes and what, uh, whether you have it or don't have it. What it feels like, the so-called symptoms, are numbness, and that can be described as tingling, pins and needles, even burning, uh, in these three digits, the thumb, index, long finger, and then a little bit of the ring finger in most people. And the most common presentation is waking up in the morning, shaking out your hands. I've had this, I've had it several times in my life, and I've actually had it operated on so I can speak as the patient as well. Typically, uh, in addition to the numbness, people complain of uh, weakness, clumsiness, holding a coffee cup, making coffee as it was for me, uh, writing, things that you have to feel like you have to work at harder, 
And pain, uh, not always pain, but if you have pain, typically it's right at this level, at the base of the wrist. So who gets it? Well, probably most of us in this room, particularly women, at one time or another will experience some of the symptoms of carpal tunnel, particularly women because it is definitely related to hormones. Uh, more fluctuations in hormones than it is actually a preponderance or more one of another. So the common times that women are affected Typically, the first time they get it is either on oral contraceptives, which changes around hormones, or pregnancy. And pregnancy for a variety of reasons, because a lot of things are going on in a woman's body, um, but also there's a lot of fluid retention. And if you're very swollen, uh, or you're flying, or you're hiking, or you're carrying something on your back, having uh, uh, more fluid in your arms uh, may also predispose you to carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, when we sleep at night, we do a lot of things, but we do hold more fluid in our uh, hands and our feet. The other one for women is around menopause, when hormones change once again. We think women get it much more commonly than men because of the shape of the carpal tunnel, its name, so I better show you what the carpal tunnel is. Well, anybody who uses their hands repetitively and forcefully uh, can get it. So men certainly get it as well. Um, the, one of the classic studies that was done on uh, meat packers, the people who use their hands repetitively, forcefully. And the computer doesn't really count. In fact, it's hard to get carpal tunnel syndrome from the computer. So that's something, I, a myth I want to dispel and I'll talk about in a minute. People can have significant injuries to the wrist because the nerve travels in the wrist, and that can also cause carpal tunnel syndrome. So why does it happen? So we have nerves that run from our neck, underneath our armpit, around our elbow, and out into our fingers. And there are three major nerves. This particular nerve is the median nerve going to talk about one of the other nerves, the ulnar nerve, but this is the median nerve. And any nerve, no matter if it's in your neck, if you have a neck impingement or a lower back sciatica, no matter where that nerve is, it can be injured in this type of a disease. We call it a compressive neuropathy, which basically means you squish it. Um, but it occurs if the nerve is pinched or it's stretched. And the most common ways that that happens with carpal tunnel syndrome, this is pinching. So if I have my straight wrist, I call this neutral. And if I do this, I'm pinching. If you think of like a rubber hose, or more accurately, uh, a piece of thick pasta, like a penne pasta. And if you bent it, it would kind of kink. This is pinching. This is stretching. Well, it so happens most of us sleep like this. And if we sleep like this, we naturally pinch it. So that's another reason why waking up in the morning, it's so, or being awakened at night, shaking it out, is because of that pinching of the nerve. Well, what other things that we do that put us in this position? Or this position? The most classic one here is driving. 
That's the number two time that people talk about their hands going to sleep and shaking them out. And then along come the bad habits. So here I do have the computer because a lot of people say, oh, I have carpal tunnel because I'm at the computer all day long. Well, if you do get carpal tunnel from being at the computer too long, first of all, as I said, it's highly unusual, but it's usually because people have terrible posture at the computer. We all do. I mean, I'm very conscientious about my posture. Um, but the longer you're at the computer, you kind of do this, you kind of fold over. And <clears throat> there are those who love to rest their wrists on the keyboard or the pad. That can cause the reverse. So the chronic pressure can cause an irritation on that nerve. Anybody ever play the piano or plays the piano currently? And did you have a teacher that was very diligent about how you held your hands? They used to do things like put rulers on top or pencils just to make sure that your wrists are straight. It's absolutely correct. It's almost impossible to get carpal tunnel syndrome playing the piano. The piano is a much better keyboard than the computer keyboard, which is tight and gets you in these bad postures. But sitting nicely at the keyboard of a piano, you're upright, your shoulders are open, your wrists are what we call neutral, and there's a lot of repeated activity that is changes. You know, it's you, you're moving your thumb, you're spreading out, and it's not one thing over and over again. So if you did take the piano, if you think someone's sitting at the piano, that's the type of posture you want to be when you're on a keyboard. Some people say that we never had problems with the old-fashioned typewriters because you're, uh, those of us who've used them, you know, you roll the bar and you, the, whatever that thing was called, the carrier, you know, the return carrier, <laughs> the car, and you'd have to roll the, put the paper in and you'd have to do more of an action so the, the pressing of the key was uh, a different thing than just in this tight little area that we are now. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. Not everybody wrote with the typewriter years ago. That was kind of a, the luxury or for, for more formal documents. But I don't know, when's the last time you write a hand, you, if you write a handwritten note, it's a thank you note or it's something of great value, but most of our communication is with that computer. Okay, bad habits, I mentioned those. Uh, what else? I mentioned forceful repetitive activity like the meat packers. Heavy equipment operators, uh, here's someone with a jackhammer. There's an added insult to nerves with a jackhammer, with a vibration. It causes scarring around nerves. Uh, sports, I guess. Um, when I was doing a lot of windsurfing, being in a sustained position holding on probably aggravated carpal tunnel syndrome. But you have to be doing some pretty serious heavy sports to have that activated. Um, one of the reasons why the nerve is so vulnerable at this level is because in that carpal canal, I'll show you in a minute, and I'll come, okay, here we go. Here's the, these are the bones of the wrist, taking everything away from it. If my hand, we're going this way, and I sliced right through there with my palm down. That's what these bones are. And if you can imagine, I'm going to put a line right across there. 
that's the carpal ligament. And everything above this line are tendons and the nerve. So here it is flipped. Oh, I guess that's taped in. I'll, I'll talk through it. Um, this middle diagram is the carpal canal turned around showing you all the contents in it. And there's eight tendons, or excuse me, nine tendons and one nerve. And the tendons are robust. They're like ropes. They're these beautiful white glistening ropes. And the nerve, I mentioned before, is like pasta. It feels like pasta. It looks like pasta. It squishes like pasta. And the tendons, when they get inflamed with the tendonitis, will expand and they'll push on the nerve. So they create a pinching within that canal. That canal is a very short area. On the picture way to the left, that white band across is the ligament. It is the roof of the canal. So I'm going to show it ligament here, ligament at the top. And on this picture, it would go right here. So it's a very short space where it's really packed in. So tendonitis can push against the nerve and cause pinching as well. There are other diseases. People with diabetes are more prone to it because the nerve in general is sicker. It has less ability to do its things. And the nerves do, they provide sensation and they provide strength to the muscles at the base of the thumb. There are other inflammatory conditions. Here's one, rheumatoid arthritis, where there's swelling everywhere and would have swelling about the nerve. So we just talked about its anatomy. How do we determine how bad it is? Whether you need surgery or you can treat it yourself. If it's bad enough and it bothers you, you probably will seek uh, the help of a doctor uh, because it's really bothering you. Waking up, it's really awful not to be able to feel things. Uh, we look for what we call signs and symptoms. Symptoms are what you tell me. Signs are what I see. And in particular, we uh, wonder how irritable the nerve is. A nerve that's compressed, if you tap it, you get the electric shocks. We've all hit our funny bone before. Those are the electric shocks that we're talking about. Sometimes, if we think it's bad enough, I'll order a special test. It's called an EMG. You see a, another doctor or a technician who stimulates the nerve and does some basic calculations to how fast the nerve conducts impulses, both to the muscle and to the skin. And depending on how severe those tests are, we will tell you, oh, I think you can treat this with a night splint. Oh, you might benefit from an injection. Or this is pretty far gone, and you really should think about surgery because surgery works quite well. Um, starting out with a splint is the most common thing we do, wearing it at night. It keeps your wrist neutral. It prevents the pinching. Simple. There are other things that you'll read about. Uh, there's some interest in using vitamin B6 with very mixed results. Wouldn't hurt. Don't overdose on it. Uh, diuretics, people who have a lot of fluid retention uh, may benefit from a diuretic, such as what you take for high blood pressure. Steroids occasionally will inject around the nerve, and what that does is it diminishes the inflammation of the tendons and therefore gives more space to the nerve so it can do its thing. And surgery is reserved for those who have 
enough compression that none of these maneuvers work or that the testing suggests it's pretty severe and would benefit from it. At surgery, what we do, a lot of surgery is very mechanical. It's very straightforward. When you get apart from the fact that it's the human body and you take skin off, it makes a whole lot of sense. So if I wanted to give the nerve more room, what I do is I change the ligament from a flat roof to a V'd roof. I kind of explain it sometimes. It's like the, the tall guy getting in the uh, Mini Cooper and opening up the sunroof. You know, you give him more breathing room. And that's exactly what we do. We cut the ligament. The ligament will reform, but there's more room for the nerve. Here's a incision. That's what the nerve looks like. And here's just a schematic where we would cut it. It's going to give you a little aside. So the median nerve is the one on the right. And the ulnar nerve, we'll come back to, provides the sensation to the small finger and the ring finger. I will talk about that. So there are many ways that surgeons do carpal tunnel surgery. It's not important that you know how or necessarily pick a doctor because they do one particular technique. Most importantly, if you need surgery, you want a surgeon who does a lot of them and understands the anatomy and feels very confident with the way that they do it. Uh, I'm a hand surgeon. I'm an orthopedic surgeon by training. My colleagues are both orthopedic and plastic surgeons. Again, it doesn't matter who you see. And there's fancy ways of doing it, not really relevant. If you come to see me for your carpal tunnel surgery, we can talk about it. Um, how, how good is the surgery? Uh, it's basically a cure if you have mild to moderate carpal tunnel syndrome that's caught early enough. If there are other things involved, like there's a bad fracture, or someone has thyroid disease or diabetes, or it's very advanced, the results are mixed. You know, there are other things that are overlying that are compromising the nerve. Um, it's really nice to feel your fingers again. If, if that's the problem, uh, surgery's pretty straightforward. Yes, ma'am. Great question. It's typically uh, thyroid uh, disease that isn't treated, oftentimes that's one of the presentation. It's hypothyroidism. Uh, there sometimes hyperthyroidism can be associated, but it's typically hypothyroidism untreated. untreated, typically with treatment does well. But people who come to surgery often are on medication for thyroid disease. So there's, there's some mixed picture. It's it, not always is it Pardon the pun, cut and dry. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going to finish up with this slide, and then I'll take questions about carpal tunnel syndrome. So as I mentioned before, people who come and say, oh, I have carpal tunnel syndrome because I'm at the computer all the time. Not so often. But you can have other sites of compression about the arm. You can have similar symptoms of carpal tunnel that are coming from a pinched nerve in the neck. The most common pinched nerve in the neck actually has numbness on the top of the hand, but it can present on this side as well. You can also compress that median nerve further on up in the elbow and the forearm. It's pretty unusual, so I, I'm not dwelling on that uh, tonight. Any questions about carpal tunnel syndrome well, before I move on? Yes, ma'am. 
Great question. And I do not, I, I want to make sure that I at least address physical therapy or hand therapy in each component. So correct me if I don't. Um, typically we send folks to a hand therapist, first of all, to get the splint if they don't have one. And um, a lot of it is, is re, what we call re-education, is figuring out the things that aggravate it, like if you do manipulative activity with your uh, um, wrist flexed. Um, there are adaptive devices, which if you have arthritis or you have weakness or you have other issues about the hand, you can use to make your job easier. In general, exercises don't work for carpal tunnel syndrome to strengthen it because the nerve is already compressed. So the main treatment is getting the pressure off the nerve. However, when people have surgery, we often send them to hand therapy because there is a benefit of strengthening. Now, in contrast, when you have arthritis, particularly at the base of your thumb, not the topic tonight, but often coexists with carpal tunnel syndrome, strengthening the muscle that the median nerve supplies is very important because it helps stabilize the thumb in these activities that we do, like pinch and grasp. Um, in carpal tunnel syndrome, it's more of you're in a recovery phase would we have you strengthen because the main issue, again, is trying to get the nerve to work again. Did I answer your question? Okay. Okay. Well, um, so yes, uh, the question is, uh, uh, this lady had been given the uh, recommendation to stretch out the tendon to take the pressure off the nerve. That makes sense as, as carpal tunnel may be related to a tendonitis. And I am going to talk about tendonitis. So they're all interrelated uh, because the structures are right there. And so getting the tendon to glide, getting the inflammation off of the tendon, those are all appropriate management specific to tendonitis. And carpal tunnel is often secondarily caused because of that. Okay. You had a question behind? So downtime following carpal tunnel surgery. Uh, almost any relatively simple surgery that doesn't involve bone, uh, there's typically a couple weeks for a wound to seal, not heal, <laughs> seal because at two weeks I could still break it apart. So that's why we don't want people running and jumping and falling because the wounds can fall open at two weeks. About three weeks the wounds start to knit. So it's a nice, good uh, seal, if you will. It's also when scars tend to be tender and pink and raised. So at three weeks is about the time it's easier to open doors and do increasingly uh, normal activity. Um, scars tend to be tender for a few months, but the normal activity can resume as early as three weeks. I think it takes about six weeks before more manipulative, stronger activities such as pruning or playing golf is advisable. So as far as the training or Depends on what you do. So some people can go back to work right away depending on how much they can task share. A manual laborer, I would take off a minimum of six weeks. So the question is, if you have Dupuytren's disease, which is a thickening of the skin and the palm, uh, pretty common in uh, particularly this population here, those 
with fair skin and beyond the age of 50 or so, uh, it can. It, it's, anytime you have coexisting diseases, it complicates surgery and recovery. Maybe not by much, a week or two, but it depends. Okay. Question here. It usually, so the question is, if you have some residual numbness following surgery, what does that mean? It usually means that the compression of the nerve was quite significant prior to surgery and that the recovery isn't complete and may not be expected to be complete. Uh, sometimes you get progressive improvement over months to a year because the nerve has been compressed so long that it takes that long to wake up. But it may not be complete. The younger we are when we have surgery, the better the results are just because nerves are more, um, have better ability to recover. Um, but if that's the case, I'd be patient. If you've had long-standing carpal tunnel syndrome, um, it doesn't get better with time. So if you're thinking about surgery, I would think about it sooner rather than later. So I'm gonna move on to the next topic because some of these questions are going to repeat. They're just kind of variations on a theme. So the next numbness one I've chosen is cubital tunnel syndrome. Cubis means elbow in Latin, so it's just a fancy term for compressing the nerve, the ulnar nerve, at the elbow. And we all know this as the funny bone, and there is no one who would admit that this is funny when you twang it. <laughs> it's just one of the most annoying things, isn't it? Um, so same kind of thing we'll go through. Anybody can get this who leans on their elbow too much. Mother was correct. Get your elbows off the table. <laughs> and I can't emphasize this enough. This is probably one of the most underdiagnosed, underacknowledged problems that is pretty easy to fix most of the time. And most of the time, it means getting off your elbows. And that means in the car, in the chair, in the whatever. We all do it. Um, it can certainly be accentuated or accelerated by trauma, any injury about the elbow. And the metabolic diseases I mentioned before, like thyroid disease and uh, diabetes, can definitely accentuate or accelerate this syndrome. This lady's great. She's talking on her phone. She's got kids in the back. This is probably me, uh, except I don't lean on my elbow anymore. And so it's a, it's a flexed position and leaning on it. So again, ulnar nerve is like the median nerve. It gets compressed by either pinching it or stretching it. And leaning on it does pinching and direct pinching. So it's a double whammy. Once again, most of us tend to sleep with our wrist flex and our elbows flex. So that's a double hit on two nerves. So the first thing we do is try to straighten the arms. So here's another one I can speak to. I definitely have this on the same side as my carpal tunnel. And I have retaught myself how to sleep by pillows. <laughs> pillows out straight. But we almost always start out for people who need to relearn how to do this with, you know, wrist splint at night for the carpal tunnel and an elbow splint to keep the elbow straight. 
There are rigid ones, which are horrid, and there are padded ones, which are better because they're more tolerated. Uh, once again, bad habits. Uh, Muscle-bound people can actually get this because the, the triceps is that, you know, one on the back here. And triceps, med medical terms are Latin and sometimes Greek. So triceps means three heads. And again, it's like surgery is mechanical, so is, you know, there's kind of a logic to medical terminology. So if you took Latin when you were younger, you can probably figure out a lot of these. So triceps means there's three parts to this muscle, and the medial head of the triceps is the one closest to the inside of your elbow. And in very muscle-bound people, this can get so big that it can squish the nerve and it can actually make the nerve kind of floppy. So that is uh, certainly not the norm that people look like this, but uh, muscular athletes can be prone to this. Um, and there are people like me whose nerve tends to flip out of its little groove that it was meant to be in, and that's another source of irritation. So if the median nerve does these three fingers, the ulnar nerve does these two fingers, and that's the classic presentation is tingling numbness in the uh, small and ring finger. And the median nerve supplies most of the muscle support to the base of the thumb, and the ulnar nerve does all the rest. So any of that fine manipulative stuff that we do to pick up a pin, turn a key, that's all ulnar nerve. So similarly, clumsiness is a common symptom, as well as if you look at the hand, it loses typically the muscle between the thumb and index finger, this one right here. It no longer has its beefiness. So we call it a cubital tunnel, and if you looked at my elbow here, on profile, there's a groove, another tunnel, and my nerve sits right here. And probably a lot of you, if you tapped yours right now, you'd get those little zingers, so don't do it. Um, <laughs> But you know what it is because it's the funny bone nerve. And in fact, that's how if you came to my office, I would tap to see how irritable it is. And I'd look to see whether it flips in and out of its groove. Like the carpal tunnel, it has many surrounding structures that can pinch on it. I mentioned the triceps muscle. And down in the forearm, it passes through another set of muscles. And those happen to be the ones that flex your wrist. So there's tight spots for these nerves at different areas. In your neck, it's a tight spot where it comes out of the spinal cord through little holes. There is a carpal tunnel um, position uh, type of compression of the ulnar nerve as well, which I did want to mention. You can get compression down at this level, and the most common that we see are people who either you know, have a habit or they do a hobby or something where they use their hand as a hammer. Um, but the most common in this area, you, you see them on the road every day, are the cyclists. And those drop handlebars, the way that they push, puts pressure right on the ulnar nerve at the wrist. It's just one click over from the median nerve, from the carpal canal. 
And in fact, people who sometimes present with both median nerve and ulnar nerve compression at the wrist, we may only do the carpal tunnel release because cutting here also expands the ulnar nerve tunnel at the wrist. So that tends to be a double relief, if you will. So as I mentioned, the nerves come out of the neck, pass under the collarbone, under the armpit, and the median nerve and ulnar nerve are quite close to each other in the forearm and pass through the wrist and then give the sensation to the fingers. Mm -hmm. Well, the, uh, so the radial head, so you probably had an injury to that other side where, because your radial head is on this side and your ulnar nerve is on this side. So you probably had an injury to the nerve. If it hasn't come back, I'd go back and see your doctor. Okay. <laughs> Are you left-handed? Yes. Well, aren't you special? Um, I'm left-handed. Um, so maybe you can talk to me afterwards. Okay. So once again, we go to the hand therapist often is our first stop, and hand therapists are great for many things. They're experts at providing and making splints. Most of the splints that we use are actually off the shelf. This is one, uh, this is a neoprene, that's wetsuit material, that has a gel pad within it. For very severe ones, as I mentioned, we'd give you a rigid one. Why patients hate those is that they tend to flex their wrist in the middle of the night, which would make your carpal tunnel bad. They hate it, they take it off, whatever. So relearning with something here which, you know, you know that you're flexing it. Your, your body says, hmm, don't flex this. Um, the gel pads are that squishy stuff, and those tend to work quite well. Okay, any another question on cubital tunnel syndrome, ulnar nerve, funny bone? Okay, while we're at the elbow, let's talk about bursitis. Uh, the very common uh, bursitis is an olecranon bursitis. And I'm sure some of you have had this. I've had this too. Um, <laughs> when you inadvertently bang the end of your elbow and up pops this golf ball. And it's painful. And if you play with it a lot or you stick needles in it, it can get infected. And that's a really bad problem. Normally it's just a nuisance. Uh, a bursa, a bursa is a, uh, a sac between typically the skin and a tendon. And most and every joint has bursa, but they don't tend to fill up unless they get provoked. So trauma is one of those. And the most common place is the knee, is the, the knee so-called housemaid's knee, we don't call it that much anymore, um, and uh, the elbow, olecranon bursitis. Those are also treated with splints because the more you move it, the more it fills up with fluid. So there is the theme. We got splints for almost everything. So occasionally we'll take the fluid off. If I take the fluid off, I'll make you go in a splint for a couple weeks and not move it because they're quite recalcitrant. Uh, they love to fill up with fluid. We don't like to operate on them because they tend to get infected. So. Okay, we're moving on to tendinitis. Three types of tendinitis. Who's this? And his horse? Trigger, okay, so <laughs> that's my little pun for the evening. Um, trigger finger, anybody had trigger finger? So, do you wanna tell us what a trigger finger is? And it, 
you're not faking it, are you? No. No. Okay. Okay. We've got treatment for you. Um, so. <laughs> So a trigger finger is where the finger gets stuck and all of a sudden it snaps. I think it's called trigger finger. I'm not really sure why, but I think it's called trigger finger, not because it's your trigger finger, but it's, it's you squeeze the trigger, squeeze the trigger, and all of a sudden the, the gun goes off. And it's the same kind of thing. You're squeezing, 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 and all of a sudden it pops. Um, so anybody who uses their hands can get trigger finger. There's probably a lot of us here. Typically presents over the age of 50, but people who use their fingers repetitively can get it at younger ages. And I actually see a variation uh, with kids, too. Uh, there's a congenital trigger finger, uh, which I tend to operate on. That's more operative than it is in adults. But it, um, the classic under the age of 50 is someone like a guitar player, where they put their fingers in positions which are not... Every day, it's this where this knuckle here hyperextends and these kind of hyperflex. The other place I've seen it are those plastic grocery bags, you know, where you kind of curl them like a monkey. <laughs> those are so bad. I, I can tell you that my I'm very proud of my daughter and her Girl Scout troop. In case you're wondering why you don't have them in the city of Palo Alto anymore, because they went to city council and had them uh, banned from the city. So that's why you have paper bags or other bags now. So because of its environmental impact. But for you too, it's, it's you know, you kind of get all this stuff in your arms and then you want to curl this thing on, but it's really bad for your tendons. Gardeners, uh, piano playing, you can get it from piano playing. So what is it? So back to tendonitis. When tendons get inflamed, so every finger has two tendons and kind of spare parts but one bends the tip and this knuckle, and the other one just bends this knuckle. Now, here's a trivia question. Is the thumb a finger? No, it's not. It's trivia. Technically, it's not. It's a digit, not a finger, and that's because we have one last bone in our thumbs, and our thumb does all these wonderful, marvelous things, so it gets its own name. Um, <clears throat> but the thumb only has one tendon that flexes. The fingers have two. And in this case, that one tendon that bends just this knuckle, it splits to allow room for the one that keeps on going and bends this. And where it splits is just a great source of inflammation. So it effectively creates a bump. It feels like a knot if you have one, and it's a great analogy to think of the old-fashioned clotheslines with the pulleys, that if it had a knot in it, you'd pull, pull, pull for that knot, and all of a sudden it would snap through. It's a great analogy because we call the canal that the tendon runs through pulleys, and it feels like a knot. When we operate on them, they don't look like knots, but it has that same effect. So it's inflammation in the tendon, and it gets hooked up right at the base of the finger. This first pulley, we call it, the first annular pulley or an A1 pulley, if you look it up on Google. Uh, what do we do? Well, you can wear a night splint. There's, there's a theme here. <laughs> so if it's, you know, like your long finger, you can make an obscene gesture when you sleep. Uh, but holding them out in extension... The most common is the ring finger, 
followed by the long finger, followed by the thumb, and then index and small fingers. But they're pretty common. If you get one, you tend to get another and another. So wearing a splint, a lot of people don't like wearing a splint, and I hardly ever prescribe it because sometimes it makes the finger even stiffer. A steroid injection, uh, we do typically most two over the course of the time that you have this. Reasons why we don't do lots of them is that steroid injections can weaken tendons if you do too many. And if you respond to one, great. Like if I have the ring trigger finger, I have maybe a 30, 40, 30 to 60% chance of it going away with one shot. If it doesn't do anything, I would definitely not recommend a second shot because it won't do anything. Um, if it makes it somewhat better, we give another one. If it doesn't go away, then we usually offer surgery. We offer surgery because it's like, it's, it's even easier than the carpal tunnel surgery and it's typically a cure. I mean, it goes away. It's, we cut this and this popping stops. When is it not a cure? When you have stiff fingers, stiff swollen fingers, and if this knuckle is, is stuck and bent, then it's hard to get that back no matter what we do. So carpal tunnel surgery and trigger finger surgery are the probably the best two surgeries that I can offer with the best results. And they're pretty straightforward problems. So if, if you have one of these and are afraid about getting treated, you have a great chance of getting better with surgery. There are many more complicated things that I do, but these are straightforward. Yes, ma'am. So trigger thumb, that special digit, is the, the same type of a problem, and we treat it the exact same way. So we will try a splint. Actually, no surgery, I mean, you have less of a chance of it going away with no surgery. Uh, the, the results are better with injections with trigger fingers. So, okay. So, so, and they often go hand in hand. So tendonitis and nerve compression. These, these are the most common ailments that we see in the hand. They're, they're in the nuisance category, but they affect so many of us. And we do have good treatment for them. Okay, surgery, and if you want to ask that question about what's recovery from trigger finger surgery, it's faster than carpal tunnel. It's, I let people take off their own bandage and move it progressively as tolerated. It's really just a wound healing issue. Back to that thing about fluid retention. So it's typically worse in the morning because we get more fluid in our hands. It tends to loosen up during the day because the tendon gets lubricated. There's natural fluid that helps glide it. Tends to be worse when you've been active and avid for a while. And then just day-to-day -day fluctuations. Yeah, it very well may be your tendon. It, it can be nerves. Nerves can do that too. There are a lot of things that can cause cramping. But uh, often before you actually begin to get your finger stuck, it will present with pain that radi up, radiates up the forearm because those muscles start from the elbow, they're muscles, 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 about here they become tendons, these are tendons, and uh, you'll feel the whole connection. And the pain often precedes the actual triggering. So you may very well have some tendonitis. 
Um, the other things that you can do, and it depends on your general health and, and what you and your doctor think is appropriate, but anti-inflammatories can diminish the, the swelling and <coughs> potentially improve the triggering. Now, early in my practice, we were quite glib about handing out anti-inflammatories, like you know, the prescription version of um, Advil and Aleve. And then you've heard about Vioxx and all these other ones. So they're not without their problems. And I'm actually more prone, uh, particularly in folks who are on multiple medications, to offer an injection rather than put you on a prescription strength uh, anti-inflammatory for six weeks. I think there's much less harm in that injection than being on a chronic systemic medication. Yes, ma'am. Uh, 10 years ago, one of the most difficult cases I ever did was on a 92-year-old lady who's still with us. So, no. Okay. It depends on a person's, first of all, how healthy they are, how active they are, whether they want surgery, whether they need surgery. There's a lot of things that go into the equation. But we as doctors talk about chronologic age and physiologic age. And they can be quite different. What your birth certificate says and your activity level and your vitality is very different. So hopefully doctors that you see take that into account. Okay, so the question, the nerves in your back, is that what you said? Uh, that caused carpal tunnel uh, with sleeping. Um, yes, in that the nerves, they're, they're in your neck. They start out, so your brain comes down and has the spinal cord and it gives these branches off. And at this level, the nerves, we call the brachial plexus. Brachium means arm and plexus means like a network. And there are these interchange, kind of interchange highway underneath here. And then they pass out and they, they make the three nerves of your arm. But at the neck, they come out as nerve roots, as we call them. And then they go through little holes in the spinal um, column, the bony areas. And you can have pinching at that level, and it can feel very similar to carpal tunnel syndrome. So yes, yeah, so when, when things are not carpal tunnel, you know, if you don't have the classic symptoms or signs, if you come to see me, then we start looking up the arm and to the neck. Okay, two more tendinitis, tendinities, if we want to be really correct. Uh, doctors love to use people's names, which means nothing. I mean, if I tell you that it's Decorvain's tenosynovitis, you're like, huh? Um, but that's how we know it. Uh, Decorvain was a French gentleman in the 19th century who described tendinitis. And it's another tendinitis at the outside of the thumb. And it's often called the new mom disease, or in this day and age, the new caregiver disease. Um, <clears throat> but this is one of those things, you know, like the coffee cup, can you pick up a coffee cup? That tells me one thing immediately. Number two, if someone says I've got pain in my thumb and it's a young woman, I'll say, did you just have a baby? Uh, because it's that prevalent. Um, and it's prevalent back to that hormone fluctuation and fluid retention. And it's also for the first time, typically, a new mom or a new dad or a grandmother or whomever um, is picking up a child doing this all day long, changing diapers. And if you do this over and over again, you're about guaranteed to get a tendonitis. So we'll look at that. 
the tendons, there's tendons at the base of your thumb here, and very similar to the trigger finger, they pass in a canal, another pulley, so it's tight right here, and you can see mine pretty well. And here's that picture. So about here to here is the tunnel. Returning to my theme, how do we treat it? A splint. So <laughs> every splint is different. This is the thumb splint. Um, you, you've got about 80% of orthopedic mentality and methodology from this talk. You know, if, it's, if it hurts, immobilize the joint. Um, do things progressively up the ladder. And typically, we can do something mechanical about it surgically if the other things don't work. So, and it is interesting, just the comment earlier about the anti-inflammatories. If I gave this talk 10 years ago, I would dwell on anti-inflammatories. And I don't use them so much anymore just of all that has happened in the last decade and, and our aging population. I mean, it challenges your liver, your kidneys, your lungs, your heart. So in general, I'd probably be a little bit more aggressive with an injection than recommending uh, anti-inflammatories. But a splint, um, I will offer a pregnant woman an injection uh, because there's minimal, if no risk, to a baby. Um, but typically it's afterwards. Uh, typically it's more after the baby's delivered that the problems are so severe, so it's even less of an issue. Oversimplification, that pulley goes from about here to here, but you get the idea. It's, it's basically like a bracelet around the tendons. The tendons have fluid, they get inflamed, the space is too tight, and you get very similar to the analogy I like to use is the sand in the oyster shell. You get the irritant, 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 the tendon expands. Sometimes you can get little cysts and it becomes a problem. Uh, splinting tends to be very um, successful if done early and caught early. And if not, of course, we have a surgery for it. Really unusual for me to do surgery for decorvanes. It's, I'd say 90% get better with injections and splints. If, if not, it's probably because it's just gone too far. And I do essentially what I do with the carpal tunnel. I give the tendons more breathing room by just opening them up and they expand. Okay. Yes, sir. It's complex. And so shaking tends to be a neurologic disorder, which is more multi-system. You know, it can be with, can be inherited. People have inherited conditions, so-called intention tremors, that you shake as you go to something, but it's fine once you hold on. Uh, there are other neurologic problems that can cause shaking. Weakness can cause shaking. So people who are recovering from injuries, when they're trying to get the muscles working again, they can shake. But there are many conditions associated with age that have shaking as well. But that's a good point. So if I give this talk again, I'll, I'll devote a little moment to shaking and tremors. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so she's asking about, she's, may I share your story? Okay. Um, I, I believe she's had multiple surgeries for arthritis of the thumb, which again is not today's talk, but I gave the talk a year ago on this, uh, and a very sig significant research interest of mine. Um, very common problem, 65% of the women in this room will get it if they don't have it. Um, and when we re 
when we change about the architecture, sometimes there are consequences which makes it more complicated. Um, multiple surgeries is the law of diminishing returns. It's kind of like injections. If they don't work great the first time, the second and third become increasingly problematic. So I don't have the magic wand for you, but there are discussions that we can have. Okay, the last entity, tennis elbow, um, or lateral epicondylitis. Lateral is at the outside. Epicondyle is where the tendon attaches. And epicondylitis, any itis means inflammation of. So what is it? Has anybody ever had it? Okay, so like no one gets it from tennis anymore. It's rare. It's, in my practice, the active people, if it's a sport, it's golf. Um, but the most common one is carrying a briefcase or a suitcase. That's numero uno. Um, so it is so common, you know, heavy repetitive lifting. Uh, it's, you know, dragging that luggage out. We don't have porters anymore. Too bad, huh? Um, or you can pay for them and they grumble. Um, but here's the epicondyle where the muscles at the, this end, at the elbow end of your forearm, and they are the tendons that extend your wrist. This is the coffee cup question. So if someone says, I have elbow pain, my first question is, first actually I start out, can you pick up a gallon of milk? And, you know, so if they can do that, then okay. But if they can't, I mean, they have early symptoms. If they can't hold that coffee cup, that is bad tennis elbow. It's almost always tennis elbow is the coffee cup. Unless you have a numb finger, da-da-da-da, which is, of course, the topic tonight. So it's really common. And it, of course, we have the full spectrum again. So what do you think my next slide is going to be? So... <laughs> And we, the fancy name for these are counterforce braces. And what they do, there's a hundred of these. And you can buy them in the grocery store, in the drugstore, whatever. Almost all of them have some ball or a pad. If you have one and wonder where it goes, it's actually supposed to go over the sore spot. And the reason is, so your muscle starts from your elbow and it goes down to your wrist or your fingers. And what that spot does, it puts a little pressure point at or below the sore spot and actually shortens the muscle. So if it shortens the muscle, it gives the inflamed area a chance to heal because it's not working so much. So the ball goes at or below the sore spot, not up here. It will do nothing up here. It has to go down here. So it makes the muscle shorter. They actually work very well. If yours hurts or it makes your hands go numb, then get another one. See a hand therapist, they can definitely engineer how best to use them. Uh, in physical therapy, if you present with this, 90% um, of these are treated with physical therapy and splinting alone, sometimes with injections. Injections are more of a crapshoot here than they are with other entities because it's a different type of a, um, it's tendonitis where the muscle is broad as to a tendon that's nice and ropey that has fluid. Uh, but the therapist will do some um, 
anti-inflammatory uh, maneuvers such as ultrasound or some other things that they can do, and they, they do help. Uh, there are special type of injection that is increasingly popular where some of your blood is taken and spun down in a magic inflammatory concoction which will help it to heal. Still being developed, but that's an option shy of surgery. And in rare cases, we will operate on these. So in general, it's a nuisance, but tends to respond well with physical therapy, which will be um, things that they will do to it. They will teach you stretching exercises, trigger points, getting into those really sore muscles and stretching out the muscle, uh, strengthening when you have sufficient recovery, and of course, re-education to stop doing the thing that annoyed you in the first place, if possible. So, my summary slide, and I will certainly take questions. Uh, I've introduced you to the common problems that we see about the hand and arm that typically cause difficulty in holding on to something, such as the coffee cup. Many, if not most, are treated with simple measures to start out with, if they're not too far gone. In doubt, uh, we encourage you to see a hand specialist, not to give me any more business, but to help you and help you get better. Uh, hand therapists may be part of our regimen. Splints are always part of our regimen. <laughs> and in uh, special cases, uh, surgery to help that. So here's my take on <laughs> hand imitating or art imitating life or vice versa. Yes, sir. So life isn't so simple as I mentioned here in giving you just, oh, it's this or this or this. But oftentimes people have what we call a double crush syndrome, where you can get a pinched nerve and irritation of the nerve down in the arm, uh, elbow, or the hand. And one accentuates the other. Posture is a significant part of things that we can do to improve it. And if you work out or work with a trainer or do exercises, Almost always we encourage core strengthening and postural exercises. Postural re-education is the fancy term. And what that is is uh, making sure that the muscles that support your um, what, what, shoulder blade, we call the scapula, your shoulder blade are out there. You kind of think of that military presence. Your neck is as long as possible, your shoulders back gives the most room for the nerves here to minimize compression from here to here. Now obviously the older we get and what we've been doing all our lives can cause arthritis and you can get little bone spurs that can encroach the nerve, but they're still almost always will start out any kind of nerve compression unless it's dramatic and acute with postural exercises strengthening and getting the pressure off the nerve. So these are bad chairs. I mean, they're, they're, they're not padded. So when I finally realized I had something going on with my nerve, I'd sit in chairs like this. So the nerve is way away from anything that can pressure. Best thing to do is get it off the desk. I mean, the forearm too, because the nerve travels down and right at this level is the other place that you get it compressed. It's, it's hard to do. You have to totally rethink the way you do things. But it means actually having good core strength will help you do that. Yes, sir. Golfer's elbow? Golfer's elbow is the other side. So lateral epicondylitis or tennis elbow is the outside. Golfer's elbow is right about the cubital tunnel where the ulnar nerve is. 
And it's, it's the same thing. It's a little more complicated because often the ulnar nerve is irritated as well. But we treat it the same way. So, yes, sir. Well, you could have compression of both, <laughs> sadly. Um, uh, you can have compression. Oh, I'm sorry. The question is, what happens if you have numbness of all five fingers? Because these three are median nerve. These two are ulnar nerve. You can have compression of both nerves. You can have compression up here at the neck, which causes compression of both nerves, even though it's, it, this is more nerve root than it is nerves. Uh, diabetes, thyroid disease, uh, there are other nerve diseases which can do that. Um, oftentimes, patients who have carpal tunnel feel like all their fingers are asleep, and it's just in the way that we perceive numbness. And then there are circumstances where the median nerve, uh, you may have a variation of a theme where it actually does provide sensation to these two fingers as well, and vice versa. So again, they're not always so clear-cut, but most of the time they are. Yes, ma'am. So the question is, if, if you work on sites other than the carpal canal, can that improve your carpal tunnel syndrome? And the answer is yes. It's, again, related to these issues about opening up areas of tightness and having elements of this double crush. And so a lot, deep tissue therapy is one of them, where a therapist will work on stretching out the, um, the stuff that covers nerve called fascia. And if you lengthen that, then you provide more breathing room. I think a lot of it is probably your friend um, changed the length of that nerve from neck to uh, hand, and it improved. It, you know, it's not a question I can answer really well because it's, it's in the bailiwick of neurologists because we think of neurology in the sense of coming from the brain. When it's related to a compression of the nerves in the hands, it's something that I, as a hand surgeon, can do. So the, more typically, they're associated with general nerve diseases as opposed to areas of compression. So can general massages help these type of ailments? I sure hope so, because I love them. So, <laughs> And I do also think it's related to the, this other lady's question, is that it, it, it gives you body awareness, helps stretch out areas that are tight, which means less compression of nerves. So the question is, what happens to the hand and the wrist uh, in a fall as far as nerve damage? It really depends on the trauma. The most common time that we see a carpal tunnel syndrome in conjunction with trauma is a wrist fracture. And there can be two elements to that. The fall, which is typically a fall on an outstretched hand, can cause such a stretch of that median nerve that there's injury to the nerve itself beyond just what you would have with a carpal tunnel. So that can be a very severe injury, in addition to fluid around the nerve and causing the nerve to compress. Uh, so it depends on how severe it is, how it's recognized, and um, a bunch of variables. Commonly associated with fractures, broken bones. Yes, ma'am. So the question is, what happens with cold, clammy, stiff hands? And so again, it's, there's a lot of things that can cause that kind of thing. Uh, there's an entity called Raynaud's phenomenon. Tends to be more common in women than men, where they have a hypersensitive 
nervous system called the sympathetic nerves. The sympathetic nerves are the, what we call the fight or flight response. When you get all cold and clammy, when you're nervous, taking a test or something, you're in a facing danger and your, your body kind of clamps down, gets blood going to the heart away from the hands and the feet. And some people have hyperactive sympathetic nerves that can cause that. Uh, can be accentuated by being in the cold, by being tired, um, by touching something cold. There are other things, and again, you getting into more systemic or, or metabolic diseases, but Raynaud's is the one that we know, we don't have a great explanation of why it happens, but people have irritable uh, sympathetic nerves. There's always risks. Okay, so the question is acupuncture and then uh, risks of surgery. Um, acupuncture, yes, there's always, uh, you know, absolutely encourage patients uh, to to pursue what we would call alternative treatment, like massage, deep tissue work. Acupuncture, um, you know, has been around longer than Western medicine, and it's still around, so obviously it plays a role. Uh, there's different types of acupuncture. Uh, the meridians in acupuncture, which are the lines, have some crossover to nerve networks. Uh, there's some very interesting things, you know, that if, if you, um, put a needle here, it improves nausea. Why that happens, I don't know. Um, but yes, one of the concepts, the, the mechanical scientific concepts of acupuncture is similar to deep tissue massage, is that you stimulate an area of irritability, you create an electrical current that it overwhelms the area that is so tight or spastic or whatever, and that it basically floods it with impulse that it softens. That's a very simple, over, uh, oversimplified version of acupuncture, but it has the similar uh, potential benefit that massage might. And again, it can treat um, stomach disorders, can treat headaches, can treat all sorts of other things. So not to be discounted at all. As to wrist and surgery, every surgery has its risks and its complications. And there's the scale of risk versus benefit ratio. Everybody's different. It's what you come to the table, how severe your disease is. Um, if you have other associated diseases that might make healing difficult or uh, recovery difficult. Uh, but in general, if surgery is offered to you, the risks are far, far outweighed by the benefits. Um, Purple tunnel surgery for the right person is like a 95% success rate. The complications that can occur, God forbid, is cutting the nerve. Never done that. You don't want that to happen. Um, bleeding, that you, some sort of bleeding gets a, a bruise underneath and the wound can break open, can get infected. Uh, those are the big, free, big three is nerve injury, uh, bleeding, and infection really small in carpal tunnel surgery. Okay, we are done. Thank you for your attention tonight. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.